Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Well, you come out going shopping when you owe somebody money, Johnny. That ain't right. How much you got to I'm going to pay him next week. I'm going to pay you. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you, but the good doctor here dummied up. It's just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. He called you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Hi, everyone. This is Chris here with the Hurtastic Podcast. I'm your host. Um, if you're listening now, you've tolerated my voice so far and get ready to deal with more of it. Uh, but, you know, during this time of quarantine, I figured I'd give some content for y'all to listen to, maybe digest and then regurgitate because it's probably intolerable. But today I'm with a dear friend of mine and he runs the successful Nathan Jones YouTube channel. The reason I call it successful is because one, he's my friend, so I got to make him feel good. But two, he just recently cracked the thousand subscriber mark and I have him here now. Nathan, why don't you say hi to everyone? Well, hey everyone. And uh, well, that's the nicest compliment anyone's ever given me, uh, especially from Chris, because usually we just insult each other constantly all the time. Yeah. Can, yeah. you, can you believe people on YouTube think we're friends? It's well, I disgusting. know, right? The only one who actually knows that, you know, the the true nature of us is probably Daniel Epler or Chris Bowie. Nah, Bowie's in the in the shadows. He doesn't really understand what's going on in the background. He doesn't know that uh, we're actually enemies and not friends. We're going to try to do a collab with him sometime soon. I, I mentioned it to you, but you never got back with me, so I'm going to call you out on the podcast. <laughs> Well, rumor has it that we were going to do one, so we'll we'll see. I feel like I'll have to be the one to, uh, you know, whip you all in shape for it. I have some good ideas with the tech-wise for it, so that'll be really fun, so stick around. But no, Nathan, I'm glad you're here today. I always have a good time talking with you. Uh, we recently did something with Na- uh, with Daniel from the host of Cobwebs for the Warner Archive. No, for the... Um, Kino, Lorber? Uh, the... The the Kino the Kino Lorber um talk that I interrupted and then oh quarantine films that's right, right quarantine right, films. Yeah. However, I do know we are planning on doing a Warner Archive video uh podcast episode at Cobweb soon. So yeah. preview. For if that. you're interested, yeah. So if you're interested in listening to that, I will put a link to the Cobwebs podcast, which you should listen to. It's on uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify. Uh, and give that a listen because both Nathan and I are featured on there more times than we probably should be, <laughs> but it's fun. Uh, but no, I'm here with Nathan today because I'm a meme lord and Nathan understands my humor just a little bit. But just a tad. in the day, yeah, in the day of quarantine, um, there's been a lot of memes surfacing, and the meme that I love is the pick three <laughs> because basically the format is. Random directors, movies, or um, film. Well, I just said movies, but basically you have to decide like what movies stay, which movies have to go. And it's just been a fun kind of game I've been playing with these boys. So what I thought for today's episode, since it's already rambling, but for today's episode, I tapped Nathan and I said, hey, dude, three directors uh, and their works you've been, you kind of been binging or watching lately. Pick three. Those are the ones you got to stick with and talk about those movies or the directors a little bit. So basically, I want our, these listener, our listeners to know basically what we've been watching if you're not following us on Letterboxd or on our channel. So that's why Nathan's here because Nathan's been doing a lot of watching. I think the man watches like four movies a day right now. <laughs> He's capped my one movie a day you know, that I was trying to do for a while, which uh, ended pretty easily. But... No, Nathan, I want to know, what are the three director's works that you've been kind of binging and possibly standing as of late? I'll let you go first since you are the host. Uh, not the host, you're the guest. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Well, oh, thanks, man. Um, so lately, um, well, I, I will uh, kind of you know edit what Chris said with four movies a day. That has only happened twice. Uh, that's a movie marathon that I do with uh, my roommate, uh, Joseph. Um, but You're right. I want... They- they might not count because there's some of them are WWE episodes. Shoot, videos, so. he calls me out. <laughs> Dude, that WrestleMania sucked. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, no people to watch it, so you know, not not no crowd. Um, but what I was gonna say was I actually think Daniel watches more movies than us, at least at this current juncture. Um, 
just he's just you know hounding movies left and right. I'm pretty busy all day for the most part. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm writing emails, working, um, and then also reading. Like I, I like to put a little bit of you know variety in my in my day. Uh, maybe like a movie or two a day, just maybe. So anyway, uh, so the movie director that I have been kind of binging lately. Uh, I've been really into 40s and 50s cinema, so I've actually been watching a lot of Howard Hawks films, so Howard Hawks productions. So actually, this goes goes back to the podcast we were on with Cobwebs with uh, with Daniel. We actually talked a little bit about Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and so those both those um, you know actors and actresses um, were in two films right here, The Big Sleep and To Have or Have Not. Um, and I watched those recently and, uh, I've just been blown away by these noirs. Um, and Howard Hawks doesn't just do noirs because, um, after, you know, shortly after that and after the podcast, um, you guys brought up Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the Marilyn, oh, love it's, that. it's such a great film, Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell, um, such a, like a, a nice little lighthearted comedy on like a ship, you know, and like, there's like a, a heist involved as well. And it's, it's just. It's really, really um, kind of charming. And then the thing I just watched just recently, like literally before this podcast, was I finally finished um, Red River, the John Wayne film in 1948. Um, and uh, it's also got um, Cliff Montgomery's, or Montgomery Cliff's first um, starring role. I guess he was in a film earlier um, that same year, but it wasn't as commercially successful. So this is like his debut. And so this is a really great Western, and it just shows you, like, the variety that Howard Hawks can, you know, portray. It's like he can do noirs, he can do Westerns, he can do comedies. Like, his dialogue's always very, very sharp. His production's also, like, very, um, you know, uh, high up there with uh, really great camera work as well. Um, and it's just, you know, his dialogue um, is, is always, like, like, you know, got me glued to the screen. And so I, I really, really like it. That's interesting. Yeah, he Red River. He, I remember you were showing how you purchased that um, during a, a sale, and you know it's kind of funny you included the Big Sleep because that's usually me when uh, a western is being talked Zing. about or being watched. So <laughs> there it is. Uh, if anybody pays attention to my, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not that tech savvy yet. I don't think enough listeners are there to to care either. So. Uh, but if anybody knows me, they know Westerns is one of those barriers in cinema for me that I'm trying to overcome, but it's just too fun to not watch them. Well, <laughs> if there is one I would recommend, and it's not in this pile, obviously, there's I just mentioned one. Um, I would re- recommend, I think, do you like Jimmy Stewart at all? I've watched a few Jimmy Stewart films. I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest fan of him sure. or anything like that. Well, I he, don't hate him either, uh, though. Right. Well, there's actually a, a movie where he doesn't really play himself as much. Um, the man who shot Liberty Valance, that's actually my favorite Western. Like it's John Wayne and, and like, and you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart. It's, it's, it's just such a fantastic and it's like almost like a, an anti-Western. So like, I I don't know how to describe it, but, um, yeah, you should watch that if you aren't interested as much as into Westerns. Yeah, I know you've been watching a lot of Howard Hawk lately, Hawks, and it, and it's really nice to to have uh, someone other than just Daniel, um, who knows his works and watches his works. Now you're definitely watching more than I have. Well, yeah, what uh, about you? Because yeah, I've I've, I've seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, um, and I believe it's the Philadelphia Story. Oh Is yeah, that a Howard Hawks. I've thing? seen that. No, that's George. No, that's George Kukar. Excuse me. He did his Girl Friday. That's what it was. Sorry. Um. So I'm very aware, and I do know, like, of his Humphrey Bogart films, The Big Sleep, obviously, I've, I've heard about. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think. Is Key Largo, is that a Howard Hawks film? I don't no, believe that's, it that's is. No, that's Delmar Daves. No, you're right. I'm just thinking the Humphrey Bogart link there. So, you know, maybe I need to catch up on some more Howard Hawks. Uh, but I guess if I'm going to go and talk about who I've been kind of watching lately uh, is... And I, I'm going to sound really douchey, um, but I love this genre, this time period, and kind of the reason, he's one of my blind spots right now, uh, but that's been, I've been watching a few uh, Jean-Pierre Melville films oh. on the Criterion channel. They recently put out all his works, but they took it off about a month or so, but you can still w- find quite a few. So I watched uh, the 24 hour, 24 hours of the 
or a day in the clown, I believe is what it's called. Um, and I watched recently also Army of Shadows. Oh yeah, the unpr- out of print um, one that's coming back. Y- yes, and that was another reason is because it's out of print. You know, just op o- o- op is like you know like a big trigger for me. It's like oh I get all giddy. So <sighs> I've never seen any Melville, so I- I- I'm interested, and I obviously haven't really tackled too much in the French New Wave. But you know, you're the guy who knows more about it than I do. Right, and yeah, it's 24 hours in the life of a clown. Just you know, for those who are listening and want to call me out for being wrong. Uh, but yeah, P- Melville, I have only known about based on reputation of him being like one of the most influential, him being super cool with his film style, kind of like the, 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 the gangster noir stuff that's been really kind of done. So like out of respects to, I think his early works, um, in later films, uh, I know Army of Shadows is like his magnum opus, and I know the Samurai, Daniel's seen that and love that. Um, Le Cirque Rouge is another film of his that's out of print on the Criterion Collection. That was actually streaming, but then it got taken off, so you know I don't know when I'll be able to see that. Um, he did a lot of stuff with uh, uh, Jean Belamondo, who was uh, the star of uh, Breathless. Uh, but he's not in this film. I don't recognize any of the actors in Army of Shadows, which is the most recent one I watched. And, you know, that movie I hear is like a masterpiece. It is like, you know, grandioso. It is essential. Um, there's some stuff in there I totally understand that's super cool. And I understand why Melville's appeal is so great. And like, you know, why he was, a you know, one of the forefronts for the, you know, the French New Wave. But... I don't know. Army of Shadows was a weird one for me. There's some really great stuff in there. There was some really great suspense. Some of it was a little bit dragging at times. Um, the story was a little off key at times as well. Um, but when you watch French New Wave, it's it's for you got to remember like this was groundbreaking stuff. This was not done before kind of things. Um, so I, I usually go with that mindset of being a little bit more accepting. So um, that was the big one. Twenty four hours uh, in the day in the life of a clown. Uh, that one was a little bit quicker because it was like a 30 minute it was a short film essentially it was like 20 minutes um and it was it was all right so far i that one was definitely early early french new wave in terms of like the cinema style and the storyline not being as important but yeah that's that's who i was i've been recently watching as my first uh was pierre melville nice well i definitely need to check out uh some of that i need to utilize the channel a little bit more Honestly, I, I'm slacking on that. I just I have them. I have so many things physically that I'm behind on that I just I slack on not checking that out. Yeah, it's it's it gets a little overwhelming sometimes because there's so many great things on that channel. You don't know what the hell to watch sometimes, you know. Like that's usually how I go and think. I'm like I'm just so overwhelmed. I don't know which director's work I need to knock off right now. So I end up maybe not watching anything or just adding it to a queue. Yeah, and I and actually, I mean, obviously, this is the middle of all this, but I I really like this idea of kind of watching uh, a filmmaker's journey with like just watching, like kind of setting, like curating your own like kind of playlist of films you want to watch from the specific director. Because I will say that you know, my with my personality type, I'm very much like I would like to only watch films that I feel whatever I'm feeling at the moment is like, okay, this is what I'm going to watch tonight. Or this is what I'm feeling like watching. I'll I'll just look at my, my collection and I'll just pick something. But if I curate it with something like Howard Hawks films is like, okay, I got to watch Howard Hawks films or I got to watch Pierre Melville films. I got to do that. You got to dude. You're like, you're like Daniel with those phases. You know, you just, I wish I was more like that. I would probably knock off more films. Comes with age, buddy. Yeah, I'm the I'm the youngin of the group. I know. Well, yeah, I mean it's okay. But the most energetic though too. I keep you guys young. It's true. I'm getting tired every day. Yeah. Speaking of that, who's uh who's the, another director you've been watching a lot of lately? <laughs> nice transition. <laughs> so um, this this next one's actually a little odd because it's a documentarian. I've actually, I've talked about this a little bit uh, before on my YouTube channel, and also it's been on my Letterboxd quite a bit, but I've actually been watching the Up series. The Up series is a documentary series by Richard Apt, which is a British, um, 
uh, documentarian. He started in 1964, and he follows uh, f- 14 kids at the age of seven. And out of these 14 kids that he follows, um, every seven years, he catches back up with them and directs and like does another documentary with them, like to see what they're doing in their life. And so this is all 14, 14 of these people um, have very different backgrounds. And so some of them are economically uh, better off. They have, you know, maybe they're going to Oxford. Um, maybe they're in cute in line to go do, you know, greater things. Some of them have better financial situations. Some of them are, are really dirt poor. And, you know, and there's all sorts of different um, parameters. Like there's politics that it's talked about. There's religion. There's relationships. It's like literally, I mean, just a glimpse into the lives of these people. And so what's really interesting is I've, I'm not done with it yet. I, and honestly, it's still going. Um, it's, the last one is at 63 Up, which came out, I think, 2019. So, like, literally, uh, yeah, last year, 2019, that's the one I have, the last one I have. So, it's been doing it from 1964, 1970, 1977, 1984, 1991, 1998, 2005, 2012, and 2019. And so, not every participant is present in every single one. There's a few that drop out uh, occasionally. One in particular drops out after the third one um, because, really, it... There's like, it's like there's a social pressure that's added to them. Um, they get recognized um, throughout the series because this series is like really, really huge in England, like very, very big. And so I was really surprised that a couple years ago, uh, or well, actually a couple months ago, sorry, did I say that? A couple months ago is when I discovered this, and um, I have the Region B uh, Blu-ray, which is where I got it and I have, you know, one English friend who's like, oh yeah, I watched this in, in middle school when I was when I was a kid in England. And I'm like, oh really? And he's like, oh yeah, it's huge in England. And I have not heard about it here in the States really at all. And I've only talked about it to a few people uh, and only uh, one person that I know in my department where I work knows about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I love this, that document documentary series. And so it's it's a really really great series. Um, it's really hard to watch sometimes because a lot of these people are struggling like crazy. Um, some of them are you know having really good lives, but like it's just yeah. Like I said, every seven years they're getting checked on. Um, it's really really crazy. Um, I'm at I'm at 42 up. I already watched 42 up, so I have um, 49 up, 56, and 63. So I have three more left. Ah, well, don't forget 52 pickup as well. Oh, yes, 52 pickup. Got the cards. I got the cards ready. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know you were watching documentaries. There it is, baby. Yeah, he's showing it off to me right now. You can't see it, but trust <laughs> me, it's in front of me, and he's happy he does have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, documentary. man, documentaries are so great. They're just such... It's almost like uh, like TV shows for me, you know, where it's like, you want something to watch and be done with it after in a good way. That's how I watch TV shows, unless it's something I'm really passionate about. But documentaries are so much like I love watching like sports documentaries. They're just very quick and digestible and informative. Um, I was with you when you history. got a, a, a sports documentary pack. I remember that. Yeah, the thirty for thirty. Yeah, I ended up getting all of them um, eventually. Uh, but yeah, documentaries are so great. Um, I didn't realize how many boutique labels also put out um, documentaries as well. That fascinates me the most. Um, so I know the Criterion Channel has that channel, but the Criterion Collection has quite a few. I think Eureka puts out a few. Uh, Kino, I think, has before. Right, they do. Um, yeah, Arrow, Region Bs do. I'm just, I'm addicted to talking about boutique labels. So it's okay. Well, speaking of boutique up. labels, that that Arrow sale, Arrow sale killed me this morning. Yes, there's an arrow sale through the arrow Easter website. <laughs> the big the the, uh, the Easter Bunny came early. Did you know that's actually the first time I've actually bought like straight from them? And also, like I have, I only have two arrows at this current moment, but now I'm gonna have, you know, like seven. So, dude, I'm I'm counting them up now. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. 18, 
22. Nice, man. I have 22 arrows with more coming. <laughs> yeah, nice. I love if, if Daniel from Cobwebs is listening, he's probably laughing. And anybody who follows my YouTube channel is probably laughing and cringe. Uh, but I love Arrow. I love to stand Arrow too. So, Arrow, Arrow Academy, if you're listening, I'm your guy. Nice. <laughs> so what about, All right, what well, about you what's your what's your second pick as i would say enough with the sponsor talk but um my second director i've been watching and it's no surprise especially to you um i've been watching a lot more noah bomback again nice <laughs> yeah i he's your boy he really is. He's one of my all times, and I've seen almost all of his films. I can't get through Kicking and Screaming, and there's another film after that I can't remember. But I've seen Margot at the Wedding, Greenberg, uh, While You Were uh, While While We're Young, Francis Ha, Mistress America, uh, The Marriage Story, Meyerowitz Stories. I just you know I've been watching lately. I've been rewatching some of his I would say lesser films or the ones who aren't usually watched often. So I re- I rewatched Greenberg. Um, I used to not like Greenberg as much, but man, watching it again, it just really hit me. It really did. I don't know really why it, it I didn't like it. Ever. I think it's cause I don't understand the character Greenberg, but I was, uh, you know, a little bit, few years younger, but rewatching it now and the things I've gone through, I just kind of really connect with that movie a little bit more. Um, and then Marriage Story, I've been rewatched. I've seen it four times now. Um, <laughs> you can quote that movie left and right. I, I can. Um, but yeah, Marriage Story is pretty, I mean, I already really enjoy. it was my number two for 2019, but man, I didn't think I'd watch it three freaking more times after. <laughs> it's a hard movie um, to watch, but I mean, with our, with your like personality type, I get that, you know, like I get why you're obsessed with it. It's, it's. Like, not like the story, like, relates to you as much as just, like, I, I can tell, like, how much it means to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, Marriage Story is really good. No, Bombback, I just, Squid in the Whale, I've only seen twice, but, you know, I own that. So, I think I'm going to rewatch that again. Um, I'll probably watch While We're Young again. That's a good one with Adam Driver. Uh, Ben Stiller, he's a, he's an actor, I usually forget his, his some of his good stuff. Oh my and he's god! Loved, he, a lot of his he makes a lot of good of, series like Meyerowitz stories. Yeah, he's fantastic. Well, that, in. Yeah, he's such an a hole to Adam, Adam Adam Sandler in that movie. Um, but he's really good. Yeah, his stuff with Bombax really solid stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say Noah Bombax is a director I've just been watching a lot more recently. I mean, I already watch him enough as it is, but you know. I feel like I can't ever talk enough about Noah Baumbach and like his greatness and his filmmaking. So I mean, I, I want him to make another movie as soon as possible. Hopefully it's another Netflix movie. So I have access to it. Uh-huh. Um, marriage story got announced for a criterion release. If we're talking about boutique labels, so that's really big news. Um, I hope the Meyerowitz stories gets that treatment with it. That'd be cool to add it onto the disc since it's also a Netflix film. Right. You know, I, I would like to see that too. And honestly, Maybe some kind of like you know how like police like police story one and two are together or mm-hmm. you know there's like um, the immigrants and there's another film that that filmmaker makes together there's a there's a couple things in the in the collection that like are paired with each other and I kind of feel like those ones could be paired it'd be like the Netflix pair and they'd be really cool I don't know it would be really cool I also hope they add Madagascar three which Noah Baumbach helped write right. as well during yeah. his divorce right. Also, I've been watching, I like unironically been watching more movies, unintentionally as well. That has Jennifer Jason Lee in them, <laughs> who is who he was divorced with. Um, yeah, their their relationship did not end well, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, if Noah Bombach's listening, which I doubt, I love you. Um, <laughs> I love you too, but, man. Oh, yeah, yeah but I was they, they, Noah. oh yeah, you too, buddy. Uh, but Marriage Story. In Greenberg have been the movies that have been saving my life lately. Uh, thank you to Noah for making those incredible movies. So yeah, that's an. If you want to know what Chris has been watching, obviously he's been watching Noah Baumbach again, like always. So Nathan, what about you? What's uh, what's what's one more director you've been watching? Also, I stay at Noah Baumbach, so everyone better step away. Yeah, no, he's definitely gonna gatekeep. Um, so the thing is too, I also want to say before I go on to my last director is that uh, you talking about his past films. I haven't seen half of them. I've only really seen the more recent ones. I, I've only seen Squid and the Whale, Francis Ha, 
and those two Netflix films. I have actually not seen his uh, prior work, so I would like to check them out sometime soon. Yeah, I will check. I would recommend While You're Young. That has Adam Driver in it. Uh, Greenberg, really great. Uh, Margot the Wedding is pretty solid. It has Jack Black and Nicole Kidman in there. Uh, Mistress America is another one that's really slept on as well. So Yeah, I'll be checking out his uh, filmography. Um, so the last uh, director that I've been t- I'll be talking about is actually um, come to my attention because I've been watching these films with Joseph, who's actually been on his own film journey. Um, he's been watching a lot of Michael Mann films. <gasps> yeah. So um, I know he has watched these on his own, and I've already seen these in the past. Um, so like he watched uh, Manhunter not too long ago, uh, which I watched also for the first time, I want to say a year ago. Oh, Manhunter, nice. So like, yeah, that really great uh, Hannibal Lecter film. And uh, recently, actually, we on those double features uh, that we did with, with him, I watched an Al Pacino Russell Crowe film, The Insider. Um, this movie is from 1999. This movie is just fantastic. Um, the dialogue is just like executed in like such a way where it, it throws me in like all the president's men does or, or something like spotlight does like there's this, you know, there's the detective, but like you get that Michael Mann kick to it. Like you get that from like heat or manhunter. It's, It's got like a grit to it. And obviously in like Pacino's performance, um, you know, you, you get this guy who's just like gung ho about, you know, figuring out this situation and not listening to anybody. And I love it. Um, and Crow plays this really great schizophrenic character um, who's like really trying to figure out his place in this entire uh, this entire thing. And so, like, it's just really, really great writing and directing from Michael Mann. I love that film. And the other day, actually, I'm, I'm going back in time. That was in 1999. So recently, we actually watched Last of the Mohicans, um, which is the Daniel Day-Lewis epic. Yes, so good. Yeah, it's, it's fan- I, I, this is the second time I've seen it. I've seen parts of it when I was younger, but um, watching it again, or, you know, it, you know it, it harkens back to my days when I watched like Gladiator and, and The Patriot and the Braveheart, those movies that I really, really liked. But like Last of the Mohicans almost seems like better in retrospect like if like if i'm i'm gonna watch those films i just mentioned previously and i'm like let's look at last of the mohicans this is actually a little bit more uh yeah is it a little bit more dramatized sure but it's not as dramatized as like those films i just mentioned earlier were like braveheart that didn't actually happen really like that the william wallace story didn't happen like that and the patriot yeah there was uh some militia Minutemen who you know did some guerrilla warfare but it wasn't like that um and you know stuff like that it's not like the last of the mohegans where it's like it's literally like the french and indian war and it it really did happen there were attacks on on the british and french side of things you know with the native americans involved and canadians Mm -hmm. and the militia and it's just it's just a really really great movie and daniel day lewis does a really fantastic job that just shows you know obviously i mean who doesn't uh uh, think Daniel Day Lewis isn't great, so like right. his, his performance is just immaculate. And then you know, um, I've seen Heat, and I know that uh, I want to say that Daniel watched Heat the other day, and so it's a little odd that Michael Michael Mann's on his mind too. Yeah, ah oh, man, that's the Mohicans I saw in high school, and I was like, man, this movie kicks ass. It's a really good historical drama, like you said, Daniel Day Lewis. Really great casting for Hawkeye, I believe is his character name. Um, they had real Native Americans in the movie acting, which is great. Um, yeah, it's funny that they were just fighting over fur trading that whole time, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's what the French and Indian... I mean, it was territory. Mostly territory. The the beaver hats, dude. Right. But uh, now that movie... Yeah, people forget, I think, about The Last of the Mohicans. I really do. And I think once you say it's Michael Mann, they kind of forget that, too. I feel like Michael Mann... Okay, my relationship with Michael Mann is I was introduced to him at an early age because of my dad. He loves Heat. Mm -hmm. Because Heat's a great movie. I get it. Heat's really great, yeah. But I think people forget... I think about Michael Mann is his movies tend to be a little longer than they anticipate. Like, Heat's almost three hours long. Um... Thief, really great film with James Caan. Shout out James Caan. 
um, a little bit long, longer than you you would expect it to be. Um, I love Public Enemies with Johnny Depp and Christian Bale. That movie's a little longer too. I, well, that one I don't love as much, maybe as you, but I, it's a Chicago bias, probably. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I just I've I, that's one of my more accessible Michael Mann films for some reason. I kind of feel like Michael Mann um, imi- like has like a kin to Scorsese a little bit. Like when with I, like the crime drama. Well, there's that plus the length of his films, kind of like the this subject material that he tackles, some of the actors that he utilizes. Like I, yeah. I can I can see. I mean, obviously they have their own distinguishable characteristics between their their films. For like I, absolutely, but I, I kind of feel like you know they're they're cousins to an extent. Yeah, yeah. I I, I would get I I could see that relationship. Or he's like the son um, of Scorsese. <laughs> Right, but I think Scorsese's movies are way more rewatchable. I can't think... I think I watch Public Enemies often because it was one of my DVD movies I owned and I liked Johnny Depp, you know? And I liked guns in that genre, in that era, you know? Right. Uh, Jason Clark's in that movie too, by the way, and he does a really good performance. And Marion Cotillard. Um, sorry, I'm just gushing over Public Enemies. Um, but Michael Mann movies are really not that rewatchable. I mean, I like Heat a lot, but like, I'm also not going to be like, I'm going to put Heat on again, you know? Um, or I'm not going to put Thief on again. Uh, even Manhunter is one where I probably wouldn't rewatch often. But I mean, last, back to Last of the Mohicans, that movie's not as long. Um, that's one of his 90s films. Um, and it's also not as violent as, um, you know, something like Heat. Or even public enemies, it's so violent. No, it's but as I, I actually was surprised by the love, like the like the violence portrayed in it a little bit. Like there was some scalping, mm-hmm. there was some. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was pretty gritty. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, like the, he makes gritty movies. Yeah, that that's the thing about Michael Mann. I think that I think everyone should watch his filmography. Is that he's very attentive to the, uh, how do I say this the. He's very accurate with his movies. Historic. He's detail oriented. Yes. Like, I've watched special features with him in Public Enemies and Heat and in Thief. He very much understands, like, this is how these kind of people do these things. And he brings it to a T, to its believable, um, which is, I think, something very respectable in his filmmaking. It's very accurate. And have you seen um, Collateral? I haven't, no. Oh my God, it's so good. That's like. That's like the best Tom Cruise is a villain you'll ever see. Like, oh yeah, it's 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 great. So uh, if you haven't seen Collateral, and uh, you know it, Jamie Fox is really fantastic too in that film. Like, damn. So yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. He he did. Jamie Fox is in that. I forgot. It's it's uh, Fox and um, Tom Cruise is the main characters. They're pretty much against each other. It's it's oh it's so good. You need to watch that, dude. I'm surprised you haven't seen it's that yet. It, you would love that movie. Yeah, I know. It's interesting though. You talked about the insider though, because I, I, you know, Al Pacino has been growing in our conversations lately, which I'm glad. Oh yeah, um, the insider. He, oh yeah. Um, but man, the insider is one I haven't seen yet, but it's on my radar because of that Russell Crowe Pacino performance together. It'll so suck I'm you. Glad in. you brought that up. Yeah. Like the subject material is like it's a it's a it's a big tobacco company. Like it's it's yeah. you know, like the subject material if you're reading this, it's like, oh, that sounds boring as shit. But the way Michael Mann like directs it and like executes it with like those performances by Pacino and Crow, it's just like it sucks you into the film and it just becomes something, you know, like like, oh damn, I need to watch every bit of this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not boring whatsoever. Ah, speaking of not so boring, my third director I've been watching recently has been very entertaining to me. Whether it's hit or miss, it's still very entertaining. And I won't talk too much about it because I'm going to save it for a future installment once I complete the whole damn thing. But the director I want to talk about really quickly is Ishiro Honda. Ooh, nice. Ishiro Honda directed the original 1954 Godzilla and went on to direct quite a few of its uh, the sequels after that. Um... The reason I want to talk about him is because I've been watching a lot of Godzilla. I won't talk about all of them, but I'll just talk about Honda. I'm very fascinated with him and his career. Um, I have the Criterion um, box set Spine a Thousand, and I have every. Those are grand. I have the. 
it is a grand thing and I own all the Godzilla movies and I plan to watch every single one and then do a special episode on all of it. But for right now, I just want to talk about Honda and basically my thoughts on the movies so far. So I've, I've gone all the way up until to Ghidorah, the three headed monster. I have to watch invasion of the Astro monster, but man, when I see Honda's name as the director, I know the movies are going to be pretty good. Now, he didn't direct the sequel, um, Godzilla Raids Again, and people trashed that one for not being very good, but uh, Miyamoto, who directed it, Honda trusted him to direct the sequel, Mm. because Honda at the time was best pals with Akira Kurosawa, right? and helping him with Seven Samurai, and I believe Ikaru as well, Um, so there's that relationship there with like, you know, boutique labels again and other directors and that, that are oh, amazing. No, my fourth director was going to be Kurosawa because I actually watched Seven Samurai before this whole quarantine thing in theaters and I actually watched another Kurosawa because of um, Mifune's birthday, Toshiro Mifune's. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, so I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, more boutique right. label and, shout outs. And, yes, and it's so interesting to me that with Japanese cinema, that just like the like the the pipeline there. So like Kurosawa, his right hand man was Hishiro Honda, and then Honda's right hand man was Miyamoto, who did Ra- uh, Raids Again, which I think is a very good sequel. I think it's underrated and gets bashed for no reason. Um, but Honda, when he does it, he it seems like every time Toho uh, put out a movie, uh, it was like within a quick time frame, uh, a, a smaller budget, and they're like Honda, save this movie for us. And he comes in and he does a great job. Um, his ah, man, I would say the best sequel so far. I like I said, I got to. I'm about to watch Invasion of the Astro Monster, but man, Godzilla versus Mothra, very very great movie. And I think it has and it, Honda had a uh, like had a be inventive on set, um, and with like the costume design for Godzilla, um, the practical effects, the storyline, um. I just he's just a he's a director I've been watching lately and I'm just like, Oh, I love Honda. You know, I just like I love him. And the reoccurring actors in them, um, some of them you'll notice. It's it's kinda of fun to watch. Uh now not every Godzilla movie like Ghidorah wasn't very good, but there's some parts of them I can take away from it, I guess. So yeah. Ishiro Honda. I've been watching him lately. I like what I'm watching and I want to continue more. So Man, that makes me want to check out my my Godzilla box set and you know um that's another thing is like i i still need to i need to dive into that those those films and i know how much you you love those those movies which is like really fantastic because you're like out of all of our you know our friend group you're like the biggest godzilla fan like absolutely um and so like that's really cool to see that you know you're like paying attention to those details with the director and like obviously knowing that toho has like a huge role in this um, as production company. And it's interesting too, that you brought up Kurosawa. Cause I'm like, when you mentioned Toho, I'm like, Oh duh. That's like, that's Kurosawa films too. And mm-hmm. then like, I literally just watched the, um, Mifune, the last samurai documentary on criterion channel because it was his hundredth birthday. And they talk a lot about, um, Toho's relationship with Kurosawa and other people in the, in the film industry, um, good or bad. <laughs> You know, like they, they still made iconic films that, you know, still resonate with so many people to this day. And like, it's, oh my God, Godzilla is like the biggest Japanese icon, you know, I, I can't think of anything that's bigger for them when it comes to like it modern is insane. age. It is insane how iconic Godzilla became. Insane. And I just love the background and, and the, the box set in the booklet is so informative and it just behind the scenes stuff is great. And you watch some of the supplements you get to listen to old Japanese directors and actors and production set people and give their opinions on it. Even Kurosawa loved the original Godzilla. Like there's a, a there's a excerpt of, of Kurosawa saying like absolutely loved it. He was jealous of Honda, even though Honda was so humble and just happy to be helping Kurosawa. Right. Um, it's just like that respect of like the different Japanese directors working at. It reminds me of like the seventies, you know, with like Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola. Yeah. You know, all having those relationships and being close and tight working together. It kind of reminds me of that in a way. And the thing is, Lucas and um. Uh, I want to say Coppola helped out Kurosawa quite a bit too. get revitalize mm-hmm. his film career in the eighties. Like, cause he yeah. was like, he was, he gone downhill 
and um, kind of, you know, have made like a few like things that, you know, aren't kind of remarkable for his, his filmography. Um, and mm-hmm. then like came came right back with Kagemusha and then um, Ran, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, and then wow. finally Dreams, the last movie that he directed, which is such an underrated gem. Like that movie is it's such a good, uh, you know, vignette uh, of things. Yeah, you, you and David Harrington. You and David Harrington of Cartoon Fortress have to fight over who loves Dreams more. He might love it more. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if he's no. listening, he's probably going to be humble about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is yeah, this is a really cool segment that you have here. Yeah. Well, it's about to turn bitter because we've been talking about these directions we've been watching and we enjoy. But just to, to get some controversy in the comments or probably in the, my emails um, or just in our friend group, um, who are a few directors you've been watching their work lately and you just they didn't they didn't stick with you okay so um uh, we're gonna do two right yeah, yeah give me two. two okay keep it positive but you know i need some right. drama well here's the thing uh this director is quite well known i know you've seen some of his films uh he's a french filmmaker and we actually talked to, uh you uh, already talked a little bit about one of his contemporaries uh, earlier with mm-hmm. melville but I actually watched John Luke Godard's Breathless for the first time. And ah! <laughs> uh, this film is just fine for me. Like it's it's I, I don't I, I guess if I if I'm looking back at like film history and like looking at what's made for the day, like yeah, I can see like the objective uh, like nature of like why this is considered a, a masterpiece. But overall, the the film felt very arrogant, or I guess. I have like uh, an, I, I have a distaste for Godard because I started with the movie Weekend, which came out in 1967, which is a mm-hmm. very jarring, jarring film, um, and uh, it's an art house film, but it's just, it doesn't really stick with my aesthetic as much, and so I've seen Good, I've seen Weekend, I've seen Breathless. Those are the only Godard films I've seen. Um, so I can't really tell you how much I really like the guy or not, but like, I liked Breathless more than I liked Weekend, um, but it's not anything like I'm jumping to go back into. Oh, well, didn't you know there was before Breathless and then after Breathless? Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you by chance list, uh, read my letterbox review on Breathless? I think maybe back in the day, but I hadn't seen the film, so I, I really don't have any context yeah. there. Ah, you and I, you should read it and then uh, off the mic, we should, we should discuss it sometime. I think it'd be really interesting and fun. Not trying to convert you or anything like that. Cause you're not the only person I've heard not be overwhelmed, not being like, not overwhelmed, but whelmed. Um, yeah. Not being very like applauding of, I guess, breathless. I actually really did enjoy it, but I'm not here to talk about why my opinion's better than well, yours. Not, yeah. Like well, the thing is I'm not dissing it really. Like I think no, it, you're not. I think it's a fine film. It's just like it's I don't I don't think it's, it's better than a lot of the things I've seen around it. it. It's such a quintessential French film that it's easier to bash or easy to overly gloat about, you know. Right. Yeah. So what about you? What's so your totally... what's your first uh first director? <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's it's funny. It, it, we have very similar um kind of critiques almost in a way. Uh my number one is uh Melville. <laughs> actually so watching both of these two films so far i've not been crazy as much as i would have wanted it wanted myself to be with them like i said army of shadows i totally understand the appeal and there's some really really great stuff in it but man it was i was expecting so much more um when i think of melville i think like you know almost like a pre-tarantino type you know where like this cool gangster very stylized movie and army of shadows is such a it's a grungy almost nihilistic hopeless movie and it doesn't really need to be at some points i do applaud that it's 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 re like it's not reinventing but um it's uh it's applauding of the french resistance during world war ii which i don't think is talked about often uh, and for a movie that was so anticipated when it was released uh i in the 19 the 1960s um, and it, it didn't get American release until the two, like 2006. It wasn't brought to the U.S. until like 2006. 
yeah, so when people lo- saw it, they lauded, they loved it. And to me, I, I mean, I, I took a nap in between watching it because I just wasn't well, it's vibing with it's it. It's interesting that you brought up like, like kind of how I the the, the best term I could say for. I mean, obviously, I told you I haven't seen Mevel, and I have seen Godard, but they're both French New Wave directors. And something that I've noticed, at least with the films that I've seen so far in this in this kind of scheme of things, uh, is that a lot of it feels really cold. And I think that's the reason I don't really like it that much, is I feel like it's it's very much like almost... I think it's because I wasn't exposed to this when it initially came out. Like, I, I needed to keep the time period in mind i need to keep you know like film history in mind like if this was revolutionary for me you know when i was if i was born uh in the 1950s growing up in the 60s like this might Mm -hmm. this might have a different feeling for me but you know uh something like this is like i i see this as film history but i don't really like i feel very cold when i watch these movies it's not anything i'm like really trying to like watch because i can't Uh, really I, i can't connect with this very very well I get that. And I think Army of Shadows, like, filmmaking-wise, it, it looks amazing. There's some really great moments of suspense where I'm like, I actually did sit up and, like, be like, holy crap, what's going on? i got to rewind this and, like, see this again, especially one scene in particular. But to me, and I'll say this to anybody who, who gets to watching French films, especially, like, New Wave films, um, at least in my experience of watching them so far, is the story structure sometimes is a little it's a little misstepping from time to time. And especially with Godard, I understand why. I mean, they're changing scripts on set the day of their shooting. You know, that's like with background knowledge. So some of it doesn't flow well together. But I would say Truffaut is definitely, from what I've been watching so far, the most concise with his story structure. Right, and I love Warner Blows. I will say, yeah, yeah, you bring up Truffaut, Truffaut, and I haven't seen anything else besides Warner Blows, but I have really, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. And I know Seth does too. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, yeah, yeah Army of Shadows, it made sense, sense but there was a lot of parts, and it was like, I'm confused. This doesn't make sense. This story, that part doesn't fit. So, I don't know. I'll have to watch. It'll probably hopefully get better with more to watch. I plan on watching the Samurai soon. So, yeah, I want to see that um, one too. Yeah. So, what what's one more for you? I feel like I know who it is, but who, who hasn't been vegging with you lately? Uh, so earlier, I I've been attacking our our friend Daniel a lot on uh on the group chat a lot because of this filmmaker. And this is definitely a hot take because I know a lot of people who maybe who might be listening to this, um, oh, God. may not agree with me on this, but like, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get the, the reverence from, for this man. Uh, this is David Lynch. I think David Lynch is fine. Um, so I watched, I've, I've seen, let's see how many films have I seen by him? I think I've seen three films by him now. I've seen Dune, I've seen uh, Mulholland Drive, and I've seen uh, Blue Velvet. The only movie I liked was Mulholland Drive. Um, I think it's a similar situation uh, with me, at least for my particular taste with Godard, uh, is that I just, I don't think I like the surrealist type, almost feels television quality nature to his films. Like it's like, it's like weird for being the sake of weird. And I, I just I I don't get that aesthetic as much as maybe other people, um, or at least I, it doesn't really fit my personality. I can respect David Lynch uh, for all the things that he's done, uh, and I know that he is such like an iconic figure for a lot of people, and I definitely respect him. But like I certainly don't and like go out of my way to watch his films like very often, or like really like this is the greatest filmmaker of all time. Cause I know several, <laughs> I have several friends who are like, yeah, this is like my favorite director. I'm like, really? Like, that's really interesting. Um, like I don't really feel like he's doing anything groundbreaking. Um, now I need to see a racer head and then you see elephant man. Um, and a few of others, other, other movies like inland empire. And, and, and honestly, I need to watch twin peaks, which is the television stuff he did. But you know, I, I enjoyed Mulholland drive. That was the one I did enjoy the most. Um, oh. yeah. I completely forgot he did Elephant Man, which I've seen with John Hurt. What did you think of that one? I liked it. No, I I liked it. I feel like that one has a story though. 
it, 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 yeah, well, it's about an actual person. And John Hurt was in it. And I think Anthony Hopkins was in that, too. Nice. Well, the thing uh, is, yeah, he doesn't really... That's the thing, is, like, he doesn't really do too many movies that have, like, a, a through-line story attached to it. You mm-hmm. know, like, it's not, like, really linear. It's, like, kind of all over the place. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing... I can't believe... And I'm usually the person who's like, I don't watch much David Lynch at all. I think I've only seen Eraserhead. But then I was like, when you just said Elephant Man, I was like, oh my god, I've seen Elephant Man. And I like that movie a lot. Um, it's it's very emotional. Um, John Hurt portraying the man with the disease, it's heartfelt. I remember even in high, like in high school, in community college, when I rented it, like skipping to see the scene of him looking grotesque. Because it's like this scene of like... You, you have to witness, you know? And I remember being like, oh my goodness, I feel so sorry for him. And the speech John Hurt gives is, it, I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar for that role and for, for a good reason. So that's the, um, well, that's, that's the one that I, I actually am interested in watching is Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. But, so, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, hot take. If, if uh, Daniel's listening to this, you've been added, um, get over it. Um. Yeah. Just, just get over it, man. Keep keep it clean. Keep it clean, boys. Come on. Uh, uh David Lynch. Uh, I, I, you know what's funny? You you said like weird, f- for the sake of being weird. I almost feel like that with like Yorgos Lathamos in a way with his filmmaking, and I like it. He's very awkward. But I feel like m- maybe that's a cultural thing too, possibly. But because uh, I've watched interviews of him speak and stuff like that, and his dialogue is similar to the way he speaks. But he's very intelligent as well, too. And I'm not saying David Lynch isn't intelligent, because I know he is, because he knows what he's doing. Um, I can't say because I haven't watched as much David Lynch films. Sure, and I and I agree with that comparison. However, like with someone like Yorgos, though, is where like he may have the awkward like nature to him that weird for being weird. But the the difference between how I view lynch or or how i would view yorgos is like cinematography and like like production values like i that's the thing is like that's what i told you about the lynch films that i've seen i'm like this feels like a a television show and so it just feels like a you know like a really weird soap opery kind of thing but mixed in with um you know this weird element uh, to him whereas like where yorgos is like he's got like a stanley kubrick-esque nature to his like how he's filming his his you know scenes and how he has mm-hmm. and that's what I, I appreciate that more so I think that might be the aesthetic that I like uh, more with Yorgos. Oh, interesting. What's your last pick? Oh, my last pick. Um, it's hard talking about like directors who it's like you know eh you know, but um. I, I was kind of afraid to say it because it's like, I, I, I don't know. I think it's healthy to have these kind of conversations so that it's like if someone listens and they're like, oh, he didn't like this director or this per- this work, you know, maybe they can like help me out and put me in the right direction. You know, it's not to like, oh, I'm going to sit in this high chair and be like, I don't like this person because like, what the hell have I done? At least they're putting work out, you know. Um, so that's not like, like the point at all. This is just basically like, you know, if I'm if I'm missing something here, let me know, and maybe I can look at a different scope, or maybe push me in some other works that they have, um, you know, and then I can warm up more to it, you know, because sometimes some certain genres, some certain people's works just don't mesh the first time, and you know, it's very easy to disband it or discard it after, you know, like eh, I got the experience, I'm done with it, not for me, you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of viewers do that sometimes. There's some really good works that could be missed out i know i i felt like that before with a few horror movies um in the past and then i end up warming up to later on um but one person's work um who i feel like i need to get a much more appreciation for our and it sounds funny because i feel like he gets more than enough appreciation uh is wes anderson um i was the reason i bring him up is because seth and i were talking about wes anderson and we also saw the royal tenor bombs together um not too far ago and you know, I, it was a good movie. I, I you know, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not gonna go by the Criterion. You know, I'm not gonna rewatch it. You know, um, I don't know. The, the the other reason is because he's having a new film at some point whenever COVID nineteen ends. Uh, the Foreign Correspondent. Yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, that's gonna be coming out. Bill Murray's in. It. I love the Bill French Murray. Dispatch. You mean? 
French Dispatch, the Foreign Dispatch is Foreign, co- else, foreign Correspondent. It's a Hitchcock film. Uh, if anyone oh. wants to know. <laughs> You see, in a la- in an uh, episode on the Hurtastic Reviews, um, which I'll put a link at that down below, uh, Daniel and I were talking about Hitchcock, so maybe that's where I got that from. But French, the French Dispatch is coming out, and I wasn't super crazy about the release and announcement for it. Um, but yeah, Wes Anderson, I think his filmmaking is very incredible. The aesthetic is very pleasing, but there's never a time, except maybe with Moonrise Kingdom, um, which is very different than some of his other movies, I feel like, where I'm like itching to see or be like lauding and up, you know, like standing and clapping and going magnificent, you know? Uh, like Royal Tenenbaums, um, even I feel hate to say this, a Grand Budapest Hotel, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, Moonrise Kingdom, uh, I'm trying to th- oh, the, the Darjeeling Limited, um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else I've missed? I haven't seen Bottle Rockets or. Um, oh, this the the uh, I haven't seen Rushmore, uh, Life Aquatic of Steve Zizou. I've seen most of it. Kind of got my got that in, got it out, kind of thing. Um, but no, Wes Anderson. I, I really need to start getting an appreciation for him because I know he's one of our one of the touted uh, directors of our time, probably rightly so. But I need to figure out a way to be able to become more of a fan. I guess I try to say. I get that, and uh, I actually have a similar journey that you have, except the opposite. Um, so, like, I watched Steve Zizou. That was, like, my first film that I watched. That was, like, when I was a lot younger. Uh, mm-hmm. So I didn't get it, so I'm like, eh, don't like this. And then I watched Moonrise Kingdom, and I actually hated it um, because I didn't like the precocious teens in the, in the film. Like, this is really dry. It's not what I like. Like, the only dry thing I like right now is, like, Monty Python or like British humor, things like that. Yeah. And then um, years later, um, back in 2014, actually, you know, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel came out. Uh, I didn't watch it in theaters, but I remember I was at home uh, in my apartment where I lived with my two roommates, and they had an H. One of them had an HBO account, and the Grand Budapest Hotel was on there. And I, I don't know, I don't even know what really gave me like the go ahead to be like, yeah, let's check this out. So I did, I checked it out and I was like, wow, this is, uh, I love this movie. Like I, I really love this movie and, uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious and I'm like, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate Wes Anderson. And so, wow. yeah, I, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying where like, maybe you need to watch maybe more of his films. Maybe you were in a different spot in your life. Um, you know, you haven't seen Rushmore, which is um, a, like one of his, like that's touted as one of his best films. So, yeah. And I want to watch it cause I love Jason Schwartzman to hell and it's a fun movie. His, yeah. Wes Anderson's ad trope of actors is impressive and I love most of them. Um, but yeah, I think Moonrise Kingdom stands out for me the most cause it's more of like a coming of age film. And I like that. I like it more and now, I like by Rushmore, the way. I like to say that to feel, everyone. Good, good. Because I dressed up as uh, a kid um, for a Halloween party of yours once. So that's true. If you follow me on social media, you'll probably find that picture somewhere. Um, he was cute. He was cute yeah. in it. I'll tell you everyone yeah, that. I was a little more attractive then. More women wanted me then, that's for sure. Zing. I'm going to cut that part out. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for enlightening us on your viewing habits as of late and some of your thoughts and opinions. Uh, I always welcome that on this podcast and I hope it's uh, ear candy for people to listen to. Well, I appreciate you uh, letting me come on to this and, you know, I, I hope everyone who's listening, um, you know, knows that Chris and I, we don't really see each other very much because of this whole business going on in the world but uh you know we hope to hang out with each other a little bit more often do a little bit more collaboration with both of uh the different things that we do uh, involving film and so i'm just i'm really happy and i'm honored to be on your on your podcast buddy oh i appreciate that even though i know most of the listeners are here for you you big celebrity a thousand subscribers on the youtube channel it's a big deal oh speaking of that uh segue into (laughs) sponsor uh (laughs) If you want to, I guess if you want to, if you want to follow that, um, it's Nathan Jones, and uh, you probably should type in Nathan Jones YouTube uh, movie review or movie reviewer on YouTube to find me. Uh, that's probably the best way to find me. 
Otherwise, you'll just if you just type in Nathan Jones, you'll find the Australian wrestler from WWE slash Mad Max Fury Road slash Troy. I'm not that guy. I wish I was sometimes, but you know, um, you know, life life's life's weird. Um, and the other way to find me is Letterboxd. I've actually been a lot more active on there. I'm actually really liking Letterboxd quite a bit. I mm-hmm. have done. I've had the, this mission that every movie that I watch this year and henceforth. I'm going to be writing a, a slight review on, and so I really, really like doing that. So, um, Doctor Jones twenty three is how you'll find me. That's right. And if you ever want to email the show for suggestions, your thoughts, hate mail, um, you can reach me at uh, the the show's email, and that's that the hertastic dot reviews at gmail dot com. Like I said, that is hertastic h u r t a s T-I-C dot reviews at gmail.com. So go ahead and give us an email on your thoughts or maybe some episodes you'd like to hear. Uh, like I said, Nathan and I are both YouTubers as well. Him more successful than I. But uh, the community is great. I think there's a really great group of uh, YouTubers who talk film that we're associated with, which I'm very honored to be. And I want to just shout a few of them out because I you know, I don't feel like I shot them out enough. But Chris Bowie of Filmstocked, uh did a podcast with him the previous podcast look out for him with nathan and i soon um i also want to shout out uh, david harrington from cartoon fortress he's got really great stuff on his uh youtube channel uh lauren's collection she's doing great stuff there uh i also want to t- shout out ethan cohen as well he's been doing really great stuff lately Elliot. on his channel Elliot cohen. Oh, Elliot Cohen. Excuse me. Ethan Cohen is uh, a Cohen brother. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's probably just as cool as the Cohen brothers. If not, probably that third brother you haven't heard yet. Uh, but Elliot Cohen, uh, fantastic on his channel. Uh, and then I want to probably shout out, uh, oh, the other Nathan, Nathan Hale. Uh, he's, his YouTube channel is mostly on Criterions. He's really great. Check his stuff out. And once again, always, always check out Daniel at the Kyle Webbs podcast. Um this has been uh, the Hurtastic Podcast with Nathan Jones. Uh, thank you all for listening. And remember, if you're not buying boutique labels, Blu-rays, you probably don't like cinema. It's true. Thank you all for listening.